All right, Steve, gear of the year. It's that time again. I looked, we've been doing this since 2018. So hmm. quite a few years of history, 2018, 19, 20, 21, 22. Yeah. We're at the six year now. Pretty crazy. Yeah, it's kind of fun to go back through those and see what we were, you know, I mean, sometimes it seems like not much changes, but also you go back and go, oh yeah, I forgot about this, forgot about that. Like it's more dynamic than I feel it is at times. Yeah, we'll look kind of briefly at some of the previous lists and maybe uh, if we want to highlight here on the podcast anything that stands out from that, but we'll also have links to all those previous lists um, and then a link to obviously this year's list and then on that also a bunch of you guys the listeners of the show will have some of your suggestions in there as well so we got some great feedback from you guys we don't have time to talk through every single one but we're going to add a list of some of your recommendations so just be sure to check out the link if you want to see links to what we discussed today links to listeners and what you guys shared and then our previous year's gear list but i did want to start here steven just say that uh Anything we talk about today is, I guess, independent, uh, as objective as possible and not sponsored because we don't do that. I feel like that's important to say um, because, uh, yeah, there's quite a bit out there, gear reviews and things, and you just don't know, is it influenced, paid, et cetera? And I don't know. We remain independent in pretty much every area of gear, Steve. Yeah, we're just, just it's not like... Exo is the spot. It's not where a podcast that needs sponsors to, um, to function, right. To justify our time doing it. So we obviously Exo is the, you know, sponsor for it. We get the marketing out of it and allows us to be sponsor free. And with the exception of backpacks, we could be pretty, uh, <laughs> um, say whatever the hell we want, frankly, which, uh, uh, you know, I think obviously adds to, I guess, to some people that don't understand the value of that, maybe. Uh, just how much is bought and paid for out there in the hunting industry. But the, I would say, you know, 95% of reviews, there's some affiliation going on behind the scenes, right? Where uh, somebody's giving something, maybe they, you know, I think a lot of, well, we don't want to go down the road. A lot of guys have good intent, but obviously there's, when money's involved, money's involved in it. No matter how good your intent was, it sways some of your your thought processes, your decision-making, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, features you choose to highlight and maybe ones you don't talk about. Right. Yeah. Anywho. Let's, let's take a quick look back. Uh, I just pulled up our 2018 gear list. I'm just going to throw them out there super quick. Some of the things that were on there, Steve, we don't have to talk to everyone, but we had darn tough socks on there. The Sawyer squeeze filter, Piranha stretch, Zions, uh, the first light Klamath, which is, that's the grid fleece, I believe. Yes. Uh, the inReach Mini, the Benchmade Altitude, and my Catabatic Gear quilt. So quite a few things in there still using. Definitely love darn tough socks. We've changed water filters a bit, although the Sawyer Squeeze is a viable option. We'll talk more about that. inReach uh, Mini, we continue to kind of harp on that. That's for dang sure. Um, mm-hmm. if anyone's listened to the podcast over the years, that catabatic gear quilt that I started using apparently in 2018, uh, is still my favorite piece, piece of backpacking gear period in terms of actual backpacking gear. I love that thing. Mm-hmm. So it's fun to see like, yeah, 2018, I've been using that thing for darn near everything since. And yeah, it's cool to see gear that lasts like that. 
yeah, the catabatics just fantastic. At some point, I don't know what you you take a piece like that. I think it's I'll say use the word timeless. I don't know what could be improved yeah. on it. I, I mean, I guess you could argue the catabatics a few ounces heavier than like the apples to apples enlightened equipment when you're just looking at specs, but the actual performance in the field, the catabatics significantly warmer. So you could technically go with, you know, a lighter catabatic to compete head like a, you know, a 20 and a 20 degree. You could go with a 30 degree catabatic. That's probably going to compete with a 20 degree enlightened equipment just from my experience sleeping out there in the mountains. But uh, yeah, maybe the only knock is it's, they could, drop a couple ounces off of it but but performance is just fantastic on those things i'm skipping highlights from 2019 because we actually for some reason we have the podcast but we don't have a published gear list and i didn't have time to scan through the podcast um it's fun to look at 2020 we had wiser precision quick sticks on there obviously still use those very heavily um you had crocs on there your stellar equipment down jackets nl pure binos um i had the nemo tensor alpine sleeping pad which i've uh we'll talk more about sleeping pads in a minute but it's still a great pad big sur bars which are something great so it's fun to look back at those any standouts from those quick mentions steve i mean uh, a big sur bar makes me sad like since that time i've gotten more <laughs> oh, of like that's a right you don't eat them dairy anymore. yeah like i've always i think i've always had it but i definitely like started having more of a reaction to eating dairy so i can't eat those anymore but uh which i attempted to make my own this year and failed miserably a couple times around there <laughs> like that's a process that you think you can just read ingredients and go okay yeah i can make that and maybe somebody who's like an actual baker could but my attempts were were nowhere near what that <laughs> what they taste like <laughs> uh quick sticks are obviously the staple it's going to be you know again how do you improve on that thing crocs continue to use the crap out of those add the eagle hawk knife on there which continues to be one of my favorite knives for sure stellar jacket still use and up here still use yeah there's not much change from 2020 man all that stuff is solid yeah uh 2021 let's see mechanics gloves you had your little wireless uh camera remote and now you're still using mm-hmm. that thing your kestrel bino adapter um Wiser Precision Nighthawk. That's still a head we use heavily. Night Force NXS Scope. Uh, Thunderbeast Ultra Suppressor. EL Range TAs. All definitely still used very heavily. Um, yeah, I, that's I, that's the first year I see that Gossamer Gear, the one tent um, on that list. And I've used that a ton. Still really like it. Uh, I had my suppressor on there as well. Uh, Hanvog Boots, which um, I've used a ton. have had some recent exploration with other options um, after my sheep hunt, but you can hear that story a different place, but uh, still fantastic boots there. So a lot that carries over. Let's see. Last year we had hated and be free on there. Super feats adapt my adapt max insoles, which they've also changed to something else. Now it's the same insole, but they changed the name. Do you recall? I have no idea why companies do that sometimes have a great product and then let's change the name on it and confuse people further. They keep the same product. Um, But yeah, it's still, yeah, I think you can still Google adapt hike max and it's going to pop up, but they did rename that for whatever reason. Yeah. The workshop precision. Yeah. That thing's incredible. Still thing is incredible. Yeah. Many, many two continue to be impressed with that sucker. They've definitely 
uh, I was telling Jeff Bloomquist was in the, in the, in the shop last week and uh, we were talking about that and I was just like, like it between the mini and the mini two, it's, it's been night and day difference in performance that like it's in my, you know, haven't used it for two years now that like texting my wife when I'm out in the field. I mean, it's, it's not always the case, but it's almost texting in, you know, quote unquote real time. Like if you're on your cell phone, like it, it is very speedy. And then we've had really good luck texting device to device. Like a uh, good example is on the death hike this year. We were, you know, Hey, where are you at? Where are you at? And just checking in with guys and we're able to like, you know, you're, you've got a 15, 20 minute delay at times. It's certainly not as fast, but in the, in years past, it was terrible. You know, sometimes it would take 24 hours for a message to get to another device. So the improvement there has been significant. I'm still rocking the original and it's on my upgrade list for this year to finally get a mini two, but mm. my original, the battery is definitely getting worse <laughs> by the year. Yeah. Um, and then it randomly freezes, like completely locks up and won't, won't become responsive to any button presses. And I have to do like a hard reset. I, I think it's like the power button and up button or something. If you hold those two for like six seconds, it'll do like a f- hard reset. I've had to do that numerous times. So uh, I've heard you talk the last couple of years about the Mini 2 being an upgrade, and that's on my upgrade list for this year. Uh, what else from last year? You had the your Hunt 26 chassis from MDT. I had my XLR chassis, so that was a yeah, was big that year the first? No, was it wasn't year, first year. No, it wasn't like when we started using them per se, but I think it was when we had enough experience to like, all right, you know, let's put it on the list. Because um, again... We're not trying to necessarily throw brand new gear on here. It's things that we've tested and used after some time. So those were on there. If you guys are hearing about this and didn't see it, I do have a chassis comparison on those two. Um, I tried to stay, again, very fair on that one and like highlight the differences and pros and cons of the two and not say that one's better than the other. But I'll try to remember to leave a link to that because it's pretty in-depth as well. Uh, we had the Swaro ATS 65. That was uh, the year did a big spotting scope comparison and the quote unquote like old ATS apparently has been, I don't want to say upgraded because Swaro won't say that, but that was when we realized like a newer production ATS is uh, a fantastic scope. Um, mm-hmm. That's my primary scope. So yeah, there's quite a bit in there. I'm, I'm skipping a whole lot, guys. So again, go check out all of the previous year's lists if you want to get highlights. There's a lot of little items like more budget-friendly stuff that i skipped over in there as well um for example my favorite underwear which is random but <laughs> they're still my favorite underwear by far um so yeah let's dive into this year steve um the first thing on my list when i thought about this year and gear of the year and as boring as it sounds was the hydropack filter with the hydropack seeker and Last year, I actually had the Hydropack Seeker on my list, but at the time we were using it with the Kated and Be Free filter, which is still a great filter. Uh, but there's a few things I didn't love about it, not in terms of filtering performance, but um, in the finer details. And Hydropack released their own filter earlier this year. I used it uh, actually the entire year on every single hunt and backpacking trip, and it held up through the entire year um so dozens of nights out there on that one and i absolutely love that filter with the seeker so i use the four liter seeker 
gives me obviously four liters of capacity. And then I can just fill that up at any time and then filter on demand as needed. So I've been, you know, like I'll stop and fill up my Nalgene if I need to. So there's a liter and then I can have the Hydropack Seeker. I have another four liters of capacity. I do carry another small one liter Hydropack bladder just kind of as a, as a backup in case that Seeker ever has a hole. So essentially I always have six liters of capacity but it's a light system, doesn't take up a lot of space because you can all roll it down when you're not using it. Um, and then the filtering, I just love. One thing I love on the HydroPack filter versus the Be Free is it's more secure uh, in terms of leaking. It has a better cap and lock. And so I can leave the filter installed in the seeker bag the entire time and put it in my pack and not really have to worry about it leaking. Whereas the be free, um, I couldn't really do that and ensure that it wasn't going to leak at all. So as boring as it sounds, man, that water system, as we talked about with Catabag, it's like, well, how do you make that better? Where do you go from here? Um, I've always had some nitpicks with water filtration. And after using this setup a ton, I just, it's, I hesitate to always say perfect, but there's nothing currently in my mind that's like, oh, I wish they would change this or do that or what have you. Yeah, when you when we first got that, the the filter doesn't flow as fast as the Caden Be Free. So that initial, like a brand new Be Free, is you fill up a liter bottle, and I mean it's fast. Because I think it's supposed to be a couple liters per minute, and it's certainly like twenty seconds, and you can go from an empty Nalgene to a full Nalgene. And the Hydropack isn't as bad. It's not bad. It's not as good as that. But yeah, I just in the interest of testing, I ran it all season long. And um, the I think the slower flow rate out of that thing is offset by the locking features. That, like I said, plenty of times during the season, I just threw that in the pack, filled it up with water, threw it in the pack, and was not worried at all about it leaking. The, the cap is, in fact, at times on my, what I have is like, <laughs> yeah. it's like almost like got to grab it, like grab like two thumbs to flip the, flip the cap up and then get it open. And then you, and not only do you have to flip it up, but you also uh, twist it. Uh, so it's Correct. really secure. The connection of the overall cap itself to the the uh, bladder body is really secure. And then those Hydropack um, bladders are just tough. They're, they're yeah. really, really tough. Like, I mean, it, obviously you'd have to, if you took a needle or something, it's going to poke through it. But in, there's absolutely nothing inside your hunting pack that could ever cut through it, right? That's, mm-hmm. you know, without being just completely... Yeah, um, disregarding any durability, <laughs> having right. a knife sitting in inside your pack without a sheath, <laughs> sheath on it. Um, so yeah, super impressed with that. My cheap item, which I realized I never talked about, and I've started using it's probably since 2020, is just uh, leather or uh, latex grip dot gloves for cutting up an animal. And it was actually Boshma Tyler that had me. We were, I think, on a bear hunt. I killed a. I killed a bear and he's like, Hey, you want some of these? And I've, I've always just like, no, I'm not a freaking wuss. I can have a little blood on my hands. Big <laughs> deal. You know? <laughs> and then at one, and then at some point I'm like, all right, fine. I'll try him. So you know, he handed to me on that bear, cut it up. And the keeping blood off the hands ended up being, it's like a, it's, it's nice. It was nice on your bowl this year when we're, you're so far away from water that where you can't get clean versus yeah. in contrast to your bear, the spring that we killed it was, uh, literally four feet from the creek. So you just like, we'll go over there and wash up, which is, you know, it's nice. And um, the, the two biggest things I noticed the benefit was one, the grip on a knife. Uh, you can, 
I have uh, Eagle Hawk knives has this kind of skeletonized version, which is like an ounce and a half lighter than their other one. Exact same blade profile, everything. Just differences. One has a handle. One has you know an actual, uh, I think like G10 or something's material handle on it. The other one's just the bare metal with some rounded edges. And without the glove on, once you start cutting into an animal and you get hair and fat and blood, I you know it's kind of hard to hold onto that knife and especially when you need to like kind of get some torque to cut through something. And um, with the gloves on, you get such better grip that it's almost like, oh man, I don't need, uh, I can get by with this. I don't need a full on handle. So it's an area where I could save some weight. And then the other area, which was, took me a while to realize was, um, I think it was cutting up my sheep, my doll sheep last year. If anyone remembers the story, it was piss and rain and winds blowing sideways and we're cutting that thing up and I'd put the gloves on and I remember distinctly remember thinking like, man, my hands should be freezing right now, but they're not. And then cut up the animal, got done, took the gloves off. And within like, you know, 90 seconds, my hands were like, oh crap, you know, you're putting them in your pockets, trying to warm back up. And I realized that just being inside the gloves there, you know, the wind and rain wasn't getting to them. And it was, you're just kind of retaining the heat that your hand has. I was shocked at, at the difference. And I've since noticed that a couple more times, um, Mm -hmm. on my bull, um, my bull last year I killed in November. That that story we did on the Solo Elk podcast. Same deal, right? It's miserably cold, and normally just cut up an animal in that cold is pretty, you know, just sucks because your hands are just burning the whole time. Yeah. And uh, put those gloves on and good to go. So keeping your hands clean, super low benefit, better grip on a knife, keeping your hands warm, absolutely worth. You buy it like I buy a, I'll put a link in here. I can't remember the exact brand name once, but it's buy on my Amazon for. 15, 20 bucks and it's a pack of hundred of them, right? It's, it's nearly free when you write, like understand how long that box of a hundred of them is going to last you. Yeah. Yeah. As you said, there's specific one. I mean, there's not that there's one brand, but the specific ones with those gripper dots are next level. They're super nice. Yeah. Um, they're tough. Yeah. Yeah. They're, I've only had a couple of times where something, you know, where you, where you cut the glove or it started to fall apart on you or something, but for the most right. part, they've been, really good yeah that grip is really nice too not just on the knife but just while skinning um you know when you start to like roll hide over and you're dealing with that underside where it's kind of slick and has some fat and you're trying to get a grab on that with those gripper dots it does help there and then another time i've used those gloves actually had nothing to do with an animal but uh if you're ever in a situation where you just want like say you have a relatively light glove and um, like super windy or wet and you have this glove and it's not cutting wind or maybe it's already wet, that glove, essentially use one of these latex gloves as like a wind or moisture barrier under your primary glove can go a long way there. Um, so just, you know, I wouldn't say that that's like a primary strategy for me, but there's, uh, it may have been Kodiak actually, where I had a glove, it was pretty damp. And it was windy and my hands were still getting chilly. And I just pulled it off, put a latex glove on as a kind of a liner and then put that other glove back on. And it definitely made a, a big difference for sure. While you're doing that, I, it's SNS Safety Astro Grip Nitrile Gloves. Pack of 100 for $20 on Amazon. Astro Grip, that sounds fancy. Yeah. <laughs> All right, shoot me the link. We'll add that to the show notes as well. I don't know. We didn't really look, Steve, if we had the same number of these, but for now, let's just ping pong back and forth. Um, yeah. My next one was the Asiac tripod. 
Uh, I've talked a little bit about that uh, recently. Tripods um, are, are trip, a tricky topic. I do want to do more in-depth talk on them and kind of comparisons. But the Asiac really stood out to me because I feel like it is um, it's a very useful ultralight tripod. And I found myself not only this year, but knowing in the future, there's going to be situations where I either skimped on carrying a tripod, like chose not to, or begrudgingly did, but didn't necessarily want to, but kind of did just in case, you know, there's certain hunts where you know, you're going to use a tripod a ton. And there's ones that are like, gosh, should I pack a tripod? And the Asiac is so light, but still very functional that it's just going to fill a great role of there's just not as much of a penalty for me both in weight and in packability like in size and then if you just look at some of the small details put into the tripod um, that really stand out you know the center column you can have a full center column or you can have a very short center column Um, and to me that is really helpful to be able to choose between the two Um, if you have that short center column in something that people overlook with standard tripods is if you have a full center column you can only get that tripod so low to the ground because the center column you know is going to extend and and that when you, matters for shooting off of it for shooting or another area i noticed this was uh, and this is very specific but in very windy conditions or just low profile glassing like this came up on the sheep hunt of like hmm. it is so stinking windy or you're peeking over a ridge. It's like, how low can I get this tripod to either keep it as stable as possible out of the wind or to just be low profile because you're like coming across and want to keep a low profile visibly and be able to get that tri or yeah, get the tripod like, you know, four or five, six inches off the ground versus if you had a full center column, you're probably 20 inches off the ground. Makes a huge difference. But yeah, for shooting, if you can get that thing four to six inches off the ground, you can effectively replace a bipod because um, you can get it so low. So, you know, there's just little things like that. And I love that the, on the Asiac, you can kind of choose. Like you can go into a hunt and go, does this matter for this hunt? Do I want a full center column or don't die? Am I gonna, is there a chance I'm shooting this thing prone? Is there a chance I need to get out of the wind? Or do I want all the benefits of a bigger center column? So just the weight, you know, the, the build quality, I think, for the weight has been great. Um, another thing on their center column is it's not round. Um, it's, so it's actually like kind of this concave design. And what that means is the legs can actually fold in tighter. So when you look at this tripod overall compared to similar tripods, it's actually just smaller. It has a smaller circumference because of the way it can compress down on itself. Um, so, yeah, there's just a lot to like about it. I used it a bunch um, for glassing did use it for shooting. It's not, you know, it, I'm not saying this is meant to be a primary shooting tripod. It's not something I would take to a competition, for example. Um, but I've shot off of it. I shot that bull off of it, which is the longest shot I've ever made in the field. Um, and so it's very capable of shooting from for a hunting situation. I just love how light and packable it is. And it's, for me, going to eliminate in the future, like, the begrudgingly, I don't want to carry a tripod, but I probably should. This is the easy answer for that because it's very functional but crazy light. So definitely stood out to me. Yeah, I was I ran the tripod myself this year. 
we started selling it. We've been selling it some of the Asiac products through SNS Archery. And uh, when we when he told us this tripod was coming, I think we got, you know, sample pretty pretty early on. And uh, yeah, just fr- frankly, just blown away by it. For There's a couple times hunting with it in the field this year. I had like, oh, I wish this or that. Um, but then realized like, all right, step back. Hold on. Like this is a one pound with, I yes. put the Nighthawk pan head on it. This thing with a pan head is like one pound. 12 ounces it's insanely light mm-hmm. and it's like okay for what this this is a crazy light backcountry hunting tripod this thing's remarkable like they, they did a fantastic job putting that thing together yeah um yeah i did in contrast we we also recently started selling really right stuff through sns archery and we packed one of their bigger it's called their ascent tripod up on kodiak this year and you could have that thing standing like you know just full on you could shoot standing from that and there was uh one time we were, we had set up and there was a uh, a doe on the other side and i was i was blown away, away by the stability of that thing but it's that just those legs are four something pounds right like mm-hmm. it's com- two completely different worlds um so from a lightweight perspective that asiac is just just incredible yeah yeah, again, you realize what it is, right? So if a guy's like, you know, I could see guys in the Southwest and they're doing a lot of like standing and glassing. The AZX is not the choice for that, right? It's a limited in height, um, for example. But again, for a backpacking like mountain tripod, you're mostly sitting, kneeling, um, et cetera. It's, man, it's just a great solution for sure. Number two on my list, which is something we've talked about a billion times, but I realized it had never shown up on one of these gear, the gear lists was just, or gear of the year was Onyx. Mm-hmm. Um, we've obviously talked about it a pile uh, and I was shocked that it's not on the list, uh, any of these lists over the last five years. But I mean, Onyx just truly has changed how we hunt and it, and I'm not at all familiar, frankly, with, I guess maybe I'm biased in this regard with some of the other mapping softwares. Maybe they're all, I'm sure they're all great. I did use, um, what's the other map one I used last year? Man, my, my memory sometimes legit lacks. Base maps. Base maps. Base maps. I use base maps. I was there. They have more, depend, I think depending on where you're at, base maps had more detail in their topo lines, which where it was on my sheep hunt last year, actually, where I was, <laughs> this came about from uh, I guess we can knock on Onyx a little bit here when we did the death hike uh, up in Alaska and yeah. we were looking at the you're just so programmed to looking at a map and going uh, when you're looking at topo lines and just assuming they're you know 100 or 200 foot increments in between the lines and we we're looking at this you know you're just kind of looking at the top of Alaska and going, oh yeah we got we got Alaska like that doesn't look so bad and then you get there and you realize it's like 500 feet between the lines or something like <laughs> some crazy number uh maybe it was 400 feet but it was like holy crap and then within that you lost a lot of detail of mm-hmm. nuances in the topography right just little ridges and valleys and stuff like that and then i remember somebody had showed me base maps topo and i was like oh yeah that's what i was expecting to see and so i ran that on the sheep hunt last year i downloaded both and um onyx was far superior in features and things like that but just from purely looking at the top of lines i was really impressed with the base maps um 
Yeah. But outside of that, um, the Onyx, I mean, they just keep adding feature after feature to the point where I was, uh, when Cody Kellum from Born and Raised Outdoors was out here, we were elk hunting together in September. And uh, he was, I mean, he's kind of, they're sponsored by him. So he's obviously super up to date on all the different features. And I was like, I kind of threw my hands up in the air. I was like, son of a bitch, dude. I'm going to have to watch like an entire weekend of videos just to understand everything Onyx can do because it's it's very robust. Yeah. And uh, uh, I mean, one of the, I didn't even know that you just put your two fingers on the map and it's going to tell you the distance between your two fingers, right? Um, it's just like, I've for years, I've been going and click, click, clicking online and drawing a line. And, you know, it's just like a few extra steps and takes 20 seconds versus two seconds. Uh so that, that was one of the times where I was like, ah, I had no freaking clue it did this, you know? So if, right. if you're an Onyx subscriber, I'd, I'm sure they have it. Um, they probably have a pretty good library of here's, you know, the features you need to know about. Uh, I just, you know, we get all busy in our own world that you just kind of like, oh, I know how to use Onyx and don't don't even bother to check back and understand what's been updated, upgraded to it. So the, again, just overall downloading, you know, having all the different features that that thing has is truly changed. Um, but it's just changed how we hunt and we use it uh, constantly here. The phone is out all day long, checking the maps and knowing how to, you know, especially even just as I'm moving through terrain, I want to make sure I'm moving as efficiently as possible. And you can move through country you've never been in very effectively by like, Oh, okay. I'm, I'm elk hunting, there's a bench above me, 150 feet, you know, 500 yards away from me. So I just need to kind of gradually climb up to there where in years past that took years of hunting an area to get to know that kind of level of detail about it to, uh, to basically best position yourself to, to kill animals. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We'll say Onyx, I think has done a very good job with some of those educational resources. It's (laughs) probably just been you and I ignoring them. Um, I know for a fact that they've, put out some fantastic YouTube videos because I am subscribed to their channel and I will see stuff pop up and I'm like, oh, I'll add that to my like my queue, my watch later list. And there was numerous videos this summer that I was like, all right, I need to make sure and watch this one before hunting season starts um, because it, you know, is explaining new features and the top this and the best that and the things you don't know and all the stuff that I needed. And was just so busy, I didn't watch any of them. So um, I think they have great resources out there. I've seen seen the titles of that content, and I think that video format's helpful because I'm sure that they're walking through and showing you visually how to do stuff. Um, I just need to go back and watch them. Next for me, uh, the Thermarest Neo Air NXT. Um, this this pad's new this year. Uh, as I mentioned before, I've been using that Nemo Tensor Alpine for, I think that was in the, see, I already forget. I think it was in the 2020 gear list, but I know I've been using it longer than that. Um, and I've loved that pad just no reason to change. But then I saw this new X, NXT come out and it, it was one of those things where the nitpicks I've had about like a Neo Air in the past, the NXT seemed to like very specifically fix or target fixing those specific things um just in terms of somewhat like comfort you know which comes with the thickness uh some of the noise um etc so when i saw like what they were claiming it had my curiosity peaked um and then tried it this year and it's a fantastic sleeping pad i don't it's hard for me to get uh 
sleeping pads to me are one of those things that I don't like get excited about them. I just get mad when I'm disappointed by them, right? So it's like, <laughs> I'm not like, oh my gosh, it's the most revolutionary thing ever. What I'll say is it's incredibly comfortable, has been very, very warm, and provides a lot of comfort and warmth at a very, very reasonable weight uh, and has been durable. So at the end of the day, like that's all I want from a pad is like, am I comfortable? Am I warm? Is it light? Is it durable? Um, and it's checked all those boxes for me this year. So um, I've been impressed. I think you threw that on your list too, Steve. Uh, No, I don't think so. Oh, no, I did. Yeah. yeah you're <laughs> right. So it's at the, towards the bottom of it. Yeah. Yeah. Order. I've been running the Neo Air for years. I mean, it's probably, yeah, I don't know, go to 2008. I mean, the, the, as soon as they come out, I ran a new air, ran it forever. Had like the only time I ever popped one was I um, was with Tyler Boschma, killed an elk. We were just threw out the bivy sacks that night. We're going to pack it out in the morning. And I threw it like in a super tired state. I just threw it on something really like this really sharp root in the ground that I didn't see when I was like shift shuffling in the middle of the night. I popped the sucker. Um, pretty big hole in it actually flipped you know flipped it over uh, and that surface was you know, so kind of smooth that i was able to just throw a patch on there a big old chunk of tape and then i ran that pad for another couple of years and never had any issues um and then i tried i i think we've publicly talked a bunch about how how i didn't realize for years and years and years how important the pressure was inside the pad to getting the comfort just dialed in so i did figure out a system where I roll on my side because I, I kind of toss and turn all night long, but I get on my side and I basically let uh, air out until my hip is just barely not touching the ground. I kind of do like a little bit of a lay on my side and kind of bounce your hip up and down, bounce your weight up and down and make sure that I'm like, when I bounce, I kind of feel the, feel the ground at my hip. But then I, when I come back to like a resting state that it's not, and that's like, okay, that's perfect. I found that works really well for me. Yeah. And then the NXT came out and it's like, Hey, same exact weight, same R value. Uh, the noise factor never, ever bothered me. Uh, plenty of people complained that the original New Year's were noisy. These NXTs, I mean, they they advertise. That's what they one of the things they set out to achieve is make them quieter. And I, I think they did a fantastic job with it. They're significantly quieter as far as, you know, when you're rolling around, does it make a noise? And probably only, to me, it's not like it doesn't wake me up but maybe it woke up somebody sleeping in their tent you know 10 feet away right we're rolling around yeah which maybe you could attest to i don't know so, <laughs> uh, and i was shocked uh, the new one uh it i ended up coming in like half an ounce lighter than what i uh, than my old one and the old one was two and a half inches thick and this is three inch thick so i don't somehow mm-hmm. i don't know how the heck they made them even lighter while adding thickness to it which is impressive and that was a cool sidebar like i love when a company says something weighs x and you get it and you put it on the scale and it weighs what the heck they said like it Mm -hmm. it is amazing to me how many times um that the companies just flat out lie just to sell something it drives me absolutely crazy i'd love to just just start a blog and just call out every company that does it because it just freaking kills me um i mean we run into that with, with our backpacks like our our packs weigh what they say they weigh and some of our, you know, other packs don't. It's it's really, really frustrating because a lot of people don't, you know, they, they buy it based off what the specs they read and they go, don't go home and realize that like, oh, they, this thing's eight ounces heavier than they said, you know, yeah. um, and they get by with 
the boat companies do this and it drives me nuts. Like, oh, well, if you don't have a string and any rubber dampeners and maybe throw the cams off there as well, it, it just, the, just the riser itself weighs four pounds. Like, uh, mm-hmm. it's such BS that just, yeah, it drives me nuts. Anyways, little rant. The, <laughs> the Thermarest weigh, I think, I can't, I, I think it came in at 0.2 ounces lighter than what they said. And that's just, that's so awesome when you see that. Agreed. Sleeping pads made me think, uh, when we were on the sheep hunt, Mark that I was hunting with had one of those little rechargeable pumps, you know, for the sleeping pads. And I've always, you know, just like, oh, it's not worth the weight. I don't want another electronic. I don't want another battery. I don't want another thing in my pack. But when someone else is carrying it, I'm like, man, this is freaking fantastic. Um, <laughs> you know, especially in the sheep hunt, like it was pretty tough hunt and like just being able to be lazy and sit there and have your pad inflated was fantastic. Um, but still, I was like, yeah, I don't see myself carrying it. But the Flextail, who is, I think, the primary company that makes a lot of those you see in the backpacking world, um, they're coming out with a new one. I think it's actually shipping this month. But they have this new one that's only 1.2 ounces and is super tiny, um, comes with a small rechargeable battery. But that said, like the numbers that they're saying, the number of inflations you're going to get off of it will think it's like in the 20s or maybe pushing 30 so you shouldn't ever seriously need to recharge it yeah and it uses um yeah a nice little rechargeable battery with a recharging port the charging port for the battery is in the battery itself which i have a headlamp like that and i really like it um and one thing i've always overlooked with those um is that it's a two-way so yes it inflates your pad but it will also deflate it which sounds ridiculous because I just like pop the nozzle while I'm laying on my pad and it mostly deflates, right? But then you still sit there and roll it up and then sometimes you do that more or less effectively and you have some air left in the pad, which makes the pad not as small to go in your pack. Um, So deflating this thing and literally having it suck every last bit of air out and then closing that nozzle and then it just makes your pad way smaller in your pack uh, for 1.2 ounces, needless to say. I'm tempted to pick one of these up. I'm going to pick one of these up. Let me put it that way. Uh, and run it so not something i've tested yet it's a brand new little um little option from those guys but i'm excited to see how it works for an ounce next one for me is boring again as this sounds the eldx bullet it's been around forever uh if people have listened to the podcast we've talked with a lot of different bullet manufacturers i've talked a lot about it a lot of about different experiences with bullets, etc. I've shot a lot of different bullets, uh, which I enjoy, you know, tinkering with. But uh, I just stuck with the ELDX this year and used it on bear and sheep and elk and close shots and very far shots and everything in between and practiced with it a bunch. And it just freaking works, man. Um, You know, and it's one of those things for me as well of just looking at even cost and availability. So like, yes, performance matters, of course. And, you know, a cheap bullet that doesn't perform is pointless. But for the ELDX, like how consistent it shoots, uh, the BC that it gets you, which does matter in some instances, and then how it's worked for me on game, not only this year, but it's a bullet I've used in years past on game. I just purely shot it this year. Part of the reason was because I was so stinking busy. I don't want to tinker with loads. Um, I just shot it all year for everything, for all of my practice, for all of my hunts. It's, you know, affordable. It's more readily available than almost anything else out there. And I was just like, gosh, dang, like all these 
fancy niche bullets are cool and they, you know, they do some great things, but sometimes if you just have something simple that works, it's like worth sticking with it. So I know that that's not like newer revolutionary, but I was, as I was thinking about like what made a difference for me this year, it was like, here was a bullet that I could get, I could shoot. It was consistent. It was accurate. It killed everything in sight that I pointed it at this year. Like, yeah, it should be on yeah, the list. What more do you want? So yeah. yeah. What, what more do you want? Um, where am I at on the list? I have the. I see some question marks, Steve. I do have. I have some question <laughs> marks. Yeah. Well, because some stuff's like, um, it's new. I used it. Yeah. Um, I'm not. You know, like it's not. I don't know. Yeah. So like the Sig Zulu sixes, the image stabilized binos. I ran the twelve by forty twos a lot this year. Um, they are at times absolutely incredible other times i really wished i had my swaros with me and i still don't like the the question mark is there because it's like these have a place i said at times i was blown away by them and other times i was like eh, i don't know like i think on our when you came out we went deer hunting for a couple days i packed the 12 by 42 zulus on my chest and then i had some nl pures in the backpack and then you were packing a spine scope i believe so we kind of had that spine scope covered. Mm-hmm. And when, you know, when we were up hiking, I remember distinctly like moving, going in, you know, we were in this big Canyon, you know, it's like a couple thousand feet each side and kind of wide. And just to be able to like hiking and you're like, Oh, that looks good to glass to stop. You're breathing hard. Still you're standing up, you know, but just turn the flip, pull those things up, flip on the image stabilization and, I would say I was very effectively covering what I wanted to look at where if you just had a traditional binocular, you know, swirls on my chest, it's kind of, you know, hands are shaking and uh, the, you know, I I run like an eight by 42 those. So the image isn't as magnified as the 12. So it's like in a kind of that distance. um, I felt like I was, when I pull up the SIGs, it was like, okay, Yep. Nope. There's no deer there. When when you pull up the swirls, it's like I know there could be, but I you know I'm not really seeing every bit of it, and I'm shaking. And but you're not like to the point where, you know, every hundred yards I'm like I stop, pull out the tripod, sit here and glass this. So mm-hmm. like when I was in those scenarios, I freaking loved it. When I get to a spot I want to sit and glass from, and I'm gonna sit down on my butt, then it's no question I'd rather have those NL pures in my hands. Like it's so. I, then it becomes like, okay, well, you just pack two pairs of binos all the time. I was like, well, no, that seems ridiculous, at least from my perspective of I want to save weight. Uh, so then you go, okay, well, what hunt do I pack the SIGs on? What hunt do I pack the Swirls on? And that's kind of where I'm at right now. Like I don't have, mm-hmm. I don't have that answer. I can't be, uh, if someone asks me, oh, should I get the, the Zulu sixes? And it's like, it's like, yes, but with a caveat, do you have extra money to blow on them? Cause you can't get, you don't. You can't, and I would not recommend getting rid of whatever, you know, traditional binocular you have. Um, so they just, they have a place. I'm really excited for maybe the future of that technology as we, I, I know we've mentioned in the past, like whoever can put together like really legit optics in that thing with a wide field of view. And then if you can throw a rangefinder in that, like that's a, you know, pie, uh, wish in the sky type thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, if when that ever happens, holy crap, that's going to be remarkable. But uh, until that day, you know, I don't know. Uh, I don't. I don't have an answer on which one. So, 
the along those same i guess a little bit more so was that the koa came out with their 66 uh, millimeter spine scope this year which used the same eyepiece uh that they had in their 77 and 88 um and which is just absolutely fantastic glass fantastic eyepiece um i was uh, we knew this was coming for quite a few years because it was supposed to come out earlier and and then i think covid delay i think there's a bunch of stuff that delayed it for a couple of years but when it finally came out i was really really jacked about it and then the only thing at the end of the day i was disappointed was the weight because co is traditionally like their 77 weighs the same as other 65 so i was really optimistic that the 66 was going to come in and be like a low 40 ounce scope and it came in at like 54 ounces or something like that so it's a little bit say it's like three or four ounces heavier than the Swaro ATS. Um, and so if, if, if even if it came in in the, the same weight as the ATS 65, I'd have been like, yep, best go pans down. But, and it, it still is, but it, it seems silly to, you know, bicker back and forth on three, four ounces, but all that stuff, you know, yeah. every piece of gear, every ounce, it all adds up. You, you've got to pay attention to that stuff. Otherwise you're, you know, running up the hill with a 70 pound pack when you don't need to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still, for what's available on the market right now, that Koa 66 is, uh, in my opinion, the best glass you could get for the quote-unquote backcountry hunter. Right, that you do have to care about care about size and weight, and um, if you're going on a sheep hunt or a mountain goat hunt, you know that the difference between the 50x max magnification and 60 can be beneficial. It's not. It's sometimes rare that. Uh, the atmospheric conditions allow you to gain to zoom in further and still a like retain image quality, but mm-hmm. um, that's uh, uh, certainly a great scope. That going back to the Sig Zulu sixes, I'm a big fan of the twelves um, because the optical quality you know isn't Swarovski level. Do you see the the big example goes from twelve to twenty? When you get to twenty, the resolution just isn't there. It's a magnified image, but the resolution is just not there and the field of view gets real narrow what you're actually seeing the 16s kind of in the middle ground but i i ran the 12s and the 16 are the 12s the majority of the time the 16s some of the time we had both up in kodiak and kind of swapped back and forth and i think the 12s if if you are interested in a pair i, I would go with the 12 by 42s all day long yeah and the zulu sixes i think it's important to like if you're considering them what are you coming from right because if you're coming from Swaros you're going to notice a difference of like optical quality, especially in certain conditions. In certain conditions, they look fantastic. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you're going to not be as satisfied with them across the board. But if you're coming from a lesser quality, I know. (laughs) Um, That's one thing that's also appealing about the Zulu 6s is is like the price point's totally reasonable. Um, So it's like if you're coming from a, you know, vortex diamondbacks or something like anything that's like right really you know sub thousand vino and you're not running like high-end swirls or zeiss or something like that like you're looking at the zulu sixes and you're like well dang like right now i just pull it up right now they're on sale um is that freaking right yeah they're on sale for 8.99 hmm. um it's like yeah, if you're already running a, a more budget by now and you're just looking to add some stabilization, I don't think you're probably going to be disappointed in the optical quality overall. Um, so just keep in mind, it's like what you're coming from. 
Yeah, your perspective matters. Um, yeah. Jump to that Koa sixty sixty. What's the price point between that Koa and like an ATS? Oh yeah, like, don't ask me that stuff. Roughly. <laughs> well, no, like, is it within a couple? Hundred I, bucks? I don't know. I'm, okay. I'm gonna have to Google it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. We'll, we'll uh, do the sidebar. So there. you're three grand for a sixty six. They did raise the price on everything too. I remember Rob being disappointed in that because Koa's yeah. always been. Um, I was gonna try and add my two cents on which one I would buy, having looked at them both a little bit. But I also was unaware of what the price was, and that obviously influences my decision. I mean, we spent uh, twenty with, with that twenty five to fifty or twenty six sixty eight. It's the price we have on SNS archery. Seems like a really random number. Okay, um, so four hundred twenty six sixty eight versus three think three grand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three hundred thirty two. So my initial like I've had the ATS. That's my bread and butter. Like that is my spotting scope. I don't own more like that's the one i purposely after years of being able to like look through a bunch of stuff is like all right i just want to settle on ats and then did get a chance to look through the 66 the koa and the ats and a bunch of others when we had a big comparison up at your place steve Mm -hmm. and it depended on like it's fun to do a comparison and not just look once because what we would do is like one guy would get up look through all these scopes for 10 or 15 minutes another guy would take a turn so like you could look through something look through them all, come back 45 minutes later, look through them all again, the atmospherics changed, the lighting changed, and, you know, back and forth. And there was times where I, like, didn't see effectively any difference between the Koa 66 and the ATS. And then there was times where I was like, "Uh, I think I'm picking up, you know, like a slight preference here or a slight benefit there. But, I mean, it's, it's freaking splitting hairs. And I walked away from that night going... The Koa 66 is a very, very good scope, but nothing about it blew me out of the water enough that I wanted to sell my ATS and make a change. Mm -hmm. And I think even if I were buying new, going and looking at, okay, I could save four, you know, three to 400 bucks and three to four ounces. I, I would still go with the ATS is where my head would be right now. That's and that after that night we did that review, I came out with I thought the sixty-six was just gonna be the clear winner, no brainer. And I, I had very similar thought to where you're at. Um, but that's when I think we thought the ATS was like six ounces lighter. I mean, we're we're splitting hairs here. Just yeah. Some to some guys who don't but, care about weight, probably this yeah. sounds absolutely ridiculous. But when <laughs> I I came back and then we actually I think we had like we had two different scales of the office that were weighing things. One was just like for whatever reason two ounces the, heavier. The one you used uh, to false advertise packs, and then the real. Yes, one. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the uh, which uh, yeah, the, we threw that one scale out because it was just off on everything. Um, but because it was weighing two ounces heavier than yeah. the others. Uh, but once I realized that the the weight was much closer than I thought, then I was like, okay, now yeah. you, you might have the Koa's got the better focus wheel. Uh, it, it was either tied with or barely edged out the, the Swirl 65 when we were looking through, it was never, never once that I think it was worse. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, yeah, setting aside price, um, Swirl is going to have, looks a little cheaper. It's going to have a better resale that could certainly matter, mm-hmm. but, um, cause just Koa doesn't have the name brand recognition that Swirl does. Yeah. But at the, at, once I kind of tallied in those other factors like ah okay yeah this the Koa 66 is probably your the one that i'm gonna someone's asking me what to buy that's that's the one i'm gonna recommend and i think on 
on every aspect of this, you would pick either of them up and be essentially 100% satisfied. Like the only thing you could, I think, not be satisfied with a like scope of this quality would just be the the wondering of his grass greener on the other side, but no actual uh, disappointment in performance, right? Like mm-hmm. they're both just fantastic scope. So it, it definitely is all splitting hairs in my opinion. Yeah. If you own either, yeah. you have a wonderful, yeah. wonderful scope. Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah. And I, I, we've said this plenty of times before, but if, unless you have both scopes side by side at the same day, I mean, just literally side by side, no matter where you're at, you're yeah. what you think is completely irrelevant. Yeah. Because yeah. it's it just doesn't freaking matter. Like there, we had this, you know, all these the top of the line scopes lined up, and over the course of an evening. 1.1 oh man that image looks awesome and then 45 minutes later you're like eh, it looks okay and then it looks like it just you go back and forth as the lighting changes it's it's a really uh, it's been a long time so when we did the very first review of this um and it took a while to really like we're just like oh i'm just gonna go on a hunt tonight and i'll take the like out and then i'll take the zeiss out and then i'll take this four out and realize like no you have to take them out and side by side like two tripods set them up go from one to the other and to really pick apart these differences because they're all, I mean, we are reviewing, you know, quote unquote, the best of the best, right? It's not like we've got a $500 scope in there versus these two, $3,000 ones. Um, so, yeah, I, I remember, well, plenty of times when like someone took a, uh, one guy took a Koa 77 out on a trip and was just, that's all he had. And he's like, I don't know. I wasn't that impressed. And um, I think I'm going to buy the, the Swaro. And I'm like, dude, I'm telling you, like, that's the best scope. Uh, that at that 77 for what you want uh, you just you know it was a the atmospheric conditions that day were crap and it, it doesn't matter what scope you're going to have the image was never going to just like blow you away yeah um, but yeah so unless you have that perspective it it really means nothing mm-hmm. since we kind of I don't want to say full deep dive but we went a little detailed there on optics go ahead and finish with your uh, optics related next item you're like looking at your list. What is it? What is it? Yeah, no, I got to. Yeah, <laughs> your phone uh, scope plus phone scope. the iPhone. Yeah, yeah, that was just a new thing this year. Where uh, it was actually Cody when we were on Kodiak two years ago. He videoed me killing uh, my buck through his phone with a phone scope attached to the Sig binos, and then I was so I was running those Zulu sixes all year. I already had the phone phone scope set up, so I just ordered the little adapter so it, the phone can clip right onto the eyepiece of the binoculars and that was that's freaking cool that like with those zulu sixes you could stand there i can throw my binos on there and get some amazing footage of stuff that happens out there when you're hunting that you can't you know your traditional digiscoping setup is like uh, oh all right gotta get the tripod out gotta get the spine scope out get that on get the spine scope on the animal get the scope on it and this is like it was just in my pocket my phone's in my pocket and I uh, I had the adapter sitting right there too and just saw something like you and I saw this badger on the deer hunt and it was, you know, really close to us, 50, 60 yards away and snapped a couple photos and I was like, oh crap, I've got this, you know, phone scope right here. So I set, clipped that on real quick and got amazing footage of this badger and said, we'll take it home and show it to my kids. Um, and uh, yeah, I was just really blown away by it. It's such a cool setup to be able to just, you know, capture stuff that happens out there when you're hunting that you would otherwise potentially miss, you know. Or, or you get a, 
just a phone image of it. And it's, you know, it's like tiny little dot out there on screen. Cause you know, even something at 50 yards, it's not going to show up on your phone very well. And then mm-hmm. on your, your elk hunt, um, I packed the pures that day, um, for that backpacking trip. And then real, and still have the adapter in there and realized that the phone scope adapter fit right onto the NL pures as well. And with basically I had some, 8x nl pures they're eights or maybe i had tens i can't remember which one i had on that trip but uh and then my iphone just has a 3x optical camera so i'm getting a you know a 30x image i don't know if i had the tens so i'm getting a 30x image i had put the binos on the tripod and was able to get amazing footage of your elk uh, across the canyon that was um yeah it was just fantastic i've never done that before i was blown away by obviously the quality of glass inside those uh and all pures is just amazing. Um, and with the phone, obviously, has, you know, it can take some very high resolution photos. You put those two together and it was, uh, it was pretty cool. We got some great footage of it. So it's definitely like opened up a, another avenue of, you know, um, taking images while out there in the field. I always thought that like, oh, like it's kind of, you, I don't say you get an amazing image out of spotting scope, digiscoping like you can at times and other times it's so, so, and I always thought binos, you know, being a smaller objective lens and whatnot that uh, uh, you'd have some issues, but man, it was just absolutely fantastic. The new iPhone came out that has the bigger one, which I've never, I hate the, those huge ones, but it has a 5X optical. Like the only reason I would look at that is by for a hunting that phone. reason. Yeah, by a hunting <laughs> phone. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I can't even imagine what kind of images you could produce with that setup. No, it definitely is. I mean, it's hard to, if you're using digital zoom while digiscoping, like that degrades That's, quick. Yeah. But yeah. this optical zoom in a good optic is impressive. Like talk about a marginal trip where maybe you don't want to pack a spotter. I'm not saying this is a primary solution, but if you had a phone scope adapter for your binos and a 3x on your phone and you can get, you know, 30x and sit there and look at it on the screen. But Maybe you, you know, if it's like this marginal trip where you're not relying heavily on a spotter, you're debating it, man, 30X right through your screen with good quality is pretty dang impressive. Pretty cool. I am on my list uh, past the primary stuff in in honorable mention territory, which Mm -hmm. I don't know why I called it that, but it was like just stuff, you know, we'll just get into it. The first one that came to mind and I had to throw an honorable mentions is the K4 pack. Cause it sounds so like, you know, self-serving and I'm recommending gear of the year. That's our gear. I didn't want to do that, but legitimately couldn't not think about this year and all the experiences I've had and how happy I have been with like K4, like just been fantastic. So I'll just leave it at that. I don't want to like toot our horn or like, come off as like self-promotion but um it's with what i've done this year especially and like yeah the longer hunts the sheep hunt the you know 15 plus mile pack out like it's just been impressive so um i'll just leave it at that the next one though under honorable mentions is a small thing Mm -hmm. um randomly found this sit pad on amazon it was a no-name pad i've used one of those uh therm is it thermos z light the little tiny sit pad ones mm-hmm. 
I've used the same one for years and it was essentially just worn out. Like it was shredding in places and ripping. And I was like, initially like, oh, I'll just get a new one. And then looked and it was like, oh, what else is out there? You know, and of course on Amazon, there's all this knockoff everything. But this one stood out to me as the same overall size as the Z-Lite, but it folds up differently or can fold up differently. It, it is structured differently and can fold multiple ways. And I was like, oh, that could be really handy. Like those times when you have a weird spot in your pack, like you can fold this one differently or that way or this way. And I was like, I'm going to give it a shot. You know, it was cheap. Um, and got it. And it's actually a super handy little pad. Um, it's a little bit more dense than a Z-Lite. So it doesn't have like quite as cushy of a feel to it, but mm -hmm. um, it still provides some cushion. Definitely great, you know, creating like a barrier or if it's just like wet or snowy or what have you. Um, it's just been a really cool little, yeah, worth an honorable mention. I know, I think you picked up one, right, Steve? You picked it up for me. You oh, Because you took it on the bear hunt. Yeah. And then um, you've been... Uh... You've done that a handful of times. <laughs> All of a sudden, that shows up in the mail for me, just a little gift, you know. It's, uh, and because uh, I was like, "Dude, that thing's legit!" And then, uh, yeah, you all of a sudden one showed up at my door a couple weeks after the bear hunt and ran it all year. Yeah, same, same complaint. The the foams it's pretty dense. It did get softer over the course of the season, so it's mm -hmm. a little bit nicer. But it, it doesn't have as as cushy a feel, but it's still giving you that barrier against the ground and rocks and wet and all that crap. But the ability to fold it you know, five or six different ways. I found that it kind of goes into like a small cube. Mm -hmm. And I found I used that the most because I could put it in a little cube and then just throw it in side pocket of the pack, the stretch pocket, and mm -hmm. it worked fantastic. So yeah, there was plenty of times where, you know, just because that's something that's always like the last to go in the pack. And it's like, ah, oh, where do I put this thing? And to have the flexibility on how it folds up sounds small, but man, it's it's nice. Details matter. So yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, you, you got K4 frame. I, uh, hesitant to mention this, but also I guess it's out there somewhat. So no. I've, <laughs> oh gosh, hold on. <laughs> no. uh, I we, so uh, hold on disclaimer. Uh, <laughs> I'll, do I'll not disclaimer everything. Do, do, do not send us an email <laughs> asking about this next year. No. All right, go ahead, Steve. But yes, no, we do yeah, need to no. disclaim. I very publicly said on the podcast, and then I think even on Rockside, that I'll be working on K4 Ultralight. Um, and I started that process this spring. It's gone through an evolution for sure. Um, so I didn't actually run a K4 frame, a standard K4 frame all year long. I When Cody came out and we filmed for Born and Raised, I was running the prototype that whole week. Uh, which I thought in hindsight was like, ah, it's probably not. We're going to get a bunch of questions on people watching the YouTube video and stuff like that. And I probably should have just ran a stock pack that week. Or not said uh, anything on a podcast, but continue. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> once it's out there, you might as well be out there. But yeah, exactly. the reality is I, it's a three to four year project. I tested some other lightweight fabrics. Jury's still out on that. The original light, the original one I had, was I went, I just experimented with some lighter weight foams, but essentially like built a lightweight frame and immediately go throw 80 pounds in it and hike. And I was kind of like, I had mixed, it's like whether the performance wasn't as good as a standard K4 frame and whether, you know, I had 80 or 82 pounds on my back, 
I'd much rather have the 82 pounds with the with a little bit more performance of the frame. And the, the difference mm-hmm. was really just the foams that um so then I went back, put the exact same foam um that's in K4 and then and then worked on saving some weight features. And so I hunted with a pack that was like three pounds, ten ounces all season long. Um and it's just stripped it's essentially all the performance of a K4 frame with stripped down features. And it's just not going to be, it's funny like that when we were talking about that Asiac, it kind of reminded me of that. Like uh, some guys would buy it and be disappointed. Like, Oh, I wish it had this, or I wish it had that. And it's like, you got to immediately stop and go, well, okay, never mind. This is like, this is very purpose built ultra light for a specific use. And it's not for everybody. We had a couple, you know, within our group of guys that we kind of hunt with and are friends with that helped uh almost all the same guys that helped develop the you know k4 frame over the last three years four years now um you know i i was you know talk within our group of friends like yeah i'm working on this some guys came by the office and saw it and they're like oh i want to run that one check it out and i'm like a couple of the guys i want to mention names but it's like uh like dude no you're the last person i want to run like you're you know you don't care about saving weight like you're just going to get this and complain that it doesn't have this pocket or that pocket or you know this feature that feature um and so it's it's a very like trying to find where that product fits into the the bigger mix and and it's got a you know from our exo's point of view they you can't have like these really blurred lines between the products like there has to be defined like all right, you run a standard K4 if you're this guy and on this very specific hunt or you're you're the guy counting every freaking ounce and you're willing to save features, then this ultralight pack might be for you. But um, yeah, if anything else, I'm more like this product may never see the light of day, but I don't mind mentioning it because it's just like, just let people know like we're, I'm certainly not sitting back just going, all right, we're going to, we're on cruise control forever. K4 is awesome. Like I'm always pushing and working on and um constantly hammering and you know said we uh k4 is built to be a four or five year pack cycle uh and i you know there shouldn't be uh, we haven't had any reason yet um there's been zero essentially zero warranty claims on k4 to where there needs to be like a slight reversion of it but maybe something will pop up i mean once you go from small scale to massive scale there might be little tiny tweaks we make to to fine tune the performance of them and and durability things like that. But they're built to be very robust, and I built them robust, knowing that I could potentially do this ultralight pack in the future and and save some weight. But I actually I think if you put a gun to my head right now, like I think ultralight will never see the day. But in five years, what I'll learn through this process of trying to build a pack that's crazy light is I'll be able to go back to standard K four and trim some fat off of it. Um, mm-hmm. find maybe there's some new materials i've been in talk with um with some of our fabric suppliers or some cool stuff like oh yeah we're working on that it's probably six months to a year out you know um so those are things that excite me about the of the future and where we can take this but yeah, i want to highlight one thing you said in there because i know what you meant but i don't uh it was said quickly and sure. i don't know if listeners caught it you said whether it was 80 or 82 pounds and what you're getting at is if you had an 80 pound load and say 80 pounds with the ultralight pack, mm. but it's going to sacrifice some comfort and performance. Comfort. Or you had just a standard K4, which let's say roughly weighs two pounds more. Yeah. The only difference is like 80 pounds total versus 82 pounds total. But if that 82 pounds with the quote unquote heavier pack 
carries so much better and is more comfortable. Like it's a no brainer to take the 82 pounds that feels better than a compromised 80. Right. Yeah. Yeah. thousand percent. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's, it's, uh, <laughs> all we do is talk. I'm a lightweight guy and all I do is talk about saving weight, but we have mentioned at times in the past, like weight, there's a limit, right? Like, uh, you, yeah, you could take a, a sleeping bag would be an easy example. Like, Oh, I'm going to pack this one that weighs, you know, uh, I did this in Wyoming in 2014. I got this hammock gear quilt that weighed like 13 ounces. And I was like, Oh, it's a 30 degree rated quilt, which was clearly not true. True. Uh, <laughs> and throws my ass off for a week. It's like, okay, that's, I've gone too far. I got to go. Like I need a warmer sleeping bag. Right. Uh, you can do that with a pack. Like if you go too far to where, you know, and a pack's got to, you know, obviously a, for us, it's got to be comfortable across all loads. So, um, if, if I can design a frame that's comfortable with 40 pounds, but not a hundred pounds like that, that doesn't work. Cause who cares about that? Uh, it's gotta be durable. It's gotta last and be tough and last seasons and seasons of abuse. And then it's gotta have the features you need to be able to hunt effectively. Um, and that's where, you know, these bags were the bags I built for ultralight were very simple literally it's a lid a main compartment with a center zip and two stretch side pockets you had no front pocket um no spotting scope pockets on the scene it was really stripped down um and they depending on the hunt you know when i was elk hunting it was fantastic because it was like really only time you're getting it out of your pack on a on an archery elk hunt is grabbing snacks uh some of the deer i don't know when you're out deer hunting um you know, like the spine scope had to be inside the pack, which is kind of pain in the butt to open it up and kind of, you know, depending on how stuffed the pack is, you got to maybe take some items out to be able to get the spine scope in and out. And it's just not like effective and efficient out there hunting. And that's why, you know, standard K4 packs have spine scope pockets because you need that stuff. So um, mm-hmm. I basically, the thought process was let's build, I'm going to build the absolute bare minimum stripped down pack that I think would function and then knowing probably going to have to like go go back right like i've already yep. had the full feature pack let's go the complete opposite end of the spectrum and then work back in towards like okay let's just add enough to make this functional and um yeah so it was anyway, it was a fun project to work on all year that um it's a killer freaking pack and i'm some some sure some guys would be absolutely jacked to get their hands on it we did have a handful of guys out there running prototypes and testing them out and giving me feedback um and then uh yeah. And then I just kind of hit that wall of like, I don't know what direction I'm going to take this or if it, if it will actually ever exist. Um, so I kind of put pause on it and, you know, just keep working and chipping away at it. Yeah. I know, know you, I know it's going to continue to be a project for sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. Bouncing back to my list again, this is like still uh call it honorable mentions territory, not necessarily gear of the year, but I, um, I've been looking for a new pair of puffy pants. I've been using the first light on Capagres for a long time. Um, really great. Was happy with them. Um, one, they have had some wear and some like stuff over time. And then two, I was just like, man, can I, to your point, can I shave some weight, uh, and what's out there? And I, man, I spent probably a little bit too much time looking at puffy pants um, and just one of those things like, okay, well, these are super light, but they're too light or these are, you know, these are so light that they're going to be too fragile. These are light, but it's because they don't have full zips and I want full zips. Um, you know, there's all kinds of like 
these are super light, but they're not actually be that warm because of the fill weight. So um, just looking at all the options and comparisons and then eventually stumbled upon Western mountaineering, what they call their flight pants. Um, and was intrigued by them. They're not cheap. They are made in the USA, which is another thing I'm like, I always like finding smaller, like made in the USA gear when I can. But what's cool about them, they're, they are, they are light. They're 12 something ounces. So again, there's lighter options out there, but these are 12 ounces, ridiculously warm, uh, treated down full zip and have a, like a, a heavier fabric in the butt and the knees. And so if you're wearing them externally and you're sitting or even getting up and kneeling and glassing, um, they're not going to be as fragile in those higher wear areas. Um, and they are a real down, not a synthetic. So um, very, very packable. So I've used those a bunch this year. Um, just really happy with them. I mean, they're puffy pants, but again, for weight without stripping away all the features or stripping away durability um, or anything else like that. And saving, I think I saved like, you know, close to eight ounces from the Uncompagres. Um, they've been just been a really good addition to to the gear this year. So nice. those stood out. Um, another, I guess, uh, the Garmin Zero. Um, chronograph. Chronograph. That was like, I want to say radar because it uses <laughs> radar technology. It is, yeah. Uh, the, the chronograph that came out, I don't have a ton of experience with it. Obviously, it's not like not everyone needs to go out and buy one. But what they like, if you're into shooting um, rifles, pretty freaking fantastic. Like the thing just works compared to like the Labradar. That's like this complicated, you know, thing. This is just like it was such a brilliant example of just something that's simple and works. Right, like mm-hmm. turn it on. It's like very clear. Are you shooting rifle bow? bow like and it has like three or four questions and then gives you a little image of like where to put it and then you shoot and it pairs to your phone you download the app which is really simple all the information's on there uh yeah just great example of awesome product effective works simple to use um and as i'm sure a lot of people buy it um if you're into reloading and things like that and then at the same time like you're um I bet you every archery shop in the country will be buying one at some point, right? Yeah. Replacing all the old chronographs that are, that need lighting and light kits and stuff like that, and are kind of terribly inaccurate at times, depending on like where the arrow passes over the sensors. And that that one just I wanted to throw out there is not necessarily like gear of the year that I'm taking with hunting, but something that uh, I was just really impressed with that when it came out. Yeah, I've been using the lab radar for uh, several years at this point, and was always fairly satisfied with it um you know there's times it would drop shots or not pick up shots i didn't find it as finicky to set up as some people do um but also it was like yeah it's you know it's big unit like it's insane to me to have a lab radar that i've been using for years and now have the garmin zero and go oh they just shrunk it like 10 times (laughs) and it's just as effective actually easier to use you know it's like it's impressive um so yeah, definitely excited about that. Like you, like limited experience, can't put it on the gear of the year for like this longer external testing that just came out within the last you know six weeks, um, but has a ton of potential. Um, and it's been interesting too to see like you know lab radars for actually a long time were tough to get, and so even new, I think they had some issues during COVID. They were tough to get, so then used they were selling for a ton, 
and overnight like they i mean they lost half their value because so many guys mm. were selling them to get the garmin you would see labradar selling for you know 500 bucks and now you're seeing people struggling to sell them for half that at times um <laughs> pretty wild how quick this garmin zero has changed that market because for a while labradar was like the only option of that sort mm-hmm. you're like yes there's magneto speeds and etc but in terms of an external radar based device there was some commercial stuff and some other weird stuff that was really expensive but a readily available option like labradar was a go-to and now there's a competitor in garmin it's definitely changed that for sure yeah pretty awesome last one for me also honorable mentions as uh, the sitka mountain evo jacket um the reason this one for me is uh honorable mention is it is very specialized and limited and so it's not a jacket that you know i want to tell everybody to go get one and you need one and whatever um it is a very specialized piece which in general i it's not that i i struggle to recommend specialized pieces because they are so niche and it's like yeah a lot of guys just flat out don't need this you know um Mm -hmm. but it's a essentially a lightweight wind shell slash soft shell with some areas of very breathable panels and like the back and the underarms. Um, and I was able to get one and use it on my sheep hunt, which if you've heard that story, it was ridiculously windy um, and oftentimes wet, but not always downpour wet where you needed rain gear. So just from everything from, yes, being a windbreak, but also you know, being a soft shell that can shed some precipitation and being light but not so light that it's fragile for like brush busting like i wore it a lot in kodiak as well busting brush the brush is wet you need some water resistance uh, but you don't necessarily need rain gear Um, and then it is fairly breathable for what it is because it has some breathable panels Um, so it's again it's like very specialized very expensive as well but they have been on sale recently Um, so it's again like if you need it it did perform well for what it's meant to be. It's just that your average guy running around like hunting elk in the lower 48 flat out doesn't need it. But you get into some of these more serious mountain hunts or certain conditions. And I will say that I think for what they made it for, it did perform actually incredibly well. So it's just not hmm. something I'm going to take on every hunt by any means. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I was just looking, you had a link in there and it's out. the lar- the black is on sale for $131. Yeah. 330 like they're yes. giving that thing away. Yeah, like crazy. full price. That's crazy. But yeah, if, if you yeah. can like, well, that's the other thing too, even though it's black, is if you're getting it more for a windbreak, it doesn't actually need to be an external layer. Mm-hmm. Um, So you can actually wear it like below something, but get the benefits of like this windbreak. But obviously in terms of shedding precipitation, brush busting, et cetera, um, you know, it would need to be external. But if you're open to black, they're super cheap right now. I think the camo ones have been on sale some places, but... I haven't looked, so it's ridiculous for three hundred something bucks, but for one hundred thirty bucks, it's like, oh heck yeah, yeah, nice. Um, I put so last year I had a Hilleberg Anhan on there as like a shelter. Uh, just it's you know that Anhan I've been using for I don't know, it feels like a decade now. I think it's somewhere around that time, on and off depending on the hunt and and whatnot. It's just a fantastic shelter for for a couple guys to sleep in. We've been liking to run it with. Um, just the shell and then we throw bivy sacks inside so it's just this crazy light shell and you still get the versatility of um, having the bivy sack if it's a clear night or you're in a um, clear night and you happen to be in a spot where it's like really hard to find a place to pitch a tent 
never once busted out this year. Didn't didn't need it. Uh, I ran bivy sack and tarp setup, which we've talked about a lot on here. And basically, I put, I put my gear of the year here for basically. I said any bivy sack and tarp combo. Um, <laughs> it's not for every hunt, every situation, every person, but it and it takes. If you've always just slept in a tent, give it some time. You're like your first trip. You may hate it. Uh, cause you don't, you know, you may not sleep as good cause you don't feel as protected, yada, yada, yada. Um, but the versatility of that setup, um, I never once this entire hunting season pitched the tarp. I just, every single night had good weather, just lucky, uh, and just slept in the baby sack and we just, you know, <laughs> it just, it just never ended. Like, I mean, when you were out for the week, like, you know, the, the nights we spent out there, like you just, um, we just find a good couple good pine trees, find a flat spot or kick a flat spot out underneath the pine tree, sleep like a freaking baby. You know, the night you killed your bull, we're packing out in the dark. Like, I don't know what, I don't know what, I if you go back and done. look at that situation, we, you know, we, if you listen to the story, we had no water. I hate packing out in the dark in country that I'm unfamiliar with. Obviously like even on this little, we had like, I don't know half a mile to go and drop down a thousand feet. It should have been pretty damn easy. We still somehow managed to get like, take the worst path possible after seeing it in the daylight the next day. We're like, Oh my, we could have walked right down the face of this in the sagebrush and been piece of cake. But um, anyways, we got down to the Creek and it's, it's the Creek bottom. There's nothing flat down there. We just, but we were really hoping that the water popped back up again, down lower in this, in this drainage. And it didn't, but we were, you know, we, we, had, we walked for like three hundred yards down the creek bottom hoping for more water nothing 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 and realize okay it's it's just not going to pop up but we just happened to be on a game trail down there and like all right you're gonna sleep right here and i'm gonna sleep right here had we had had a full tent or you know tp tents are popular now but i've always complained about the footprint they need to pitch we would have been hiking i mean we would have had to hike all the way up to that saddle uh which would have been in the dark and how thick that kind of north face was right there that would have been absolutely freaking miserable, but that would have been our only option to sleep that night. So the versatility of that bivy sack, um, I just can't, I said, you just, I can go back through all the years I've been using it and you kind of break, break apart all these hunts, like how different they would look had I had to like hike around that much longer in the dark, trying to find a spot to sleep. It, it's just like, it's kind of hard to wrap my head around. Mm-hmm. I do want to clarify where you say like, any bivy sack and tarp combo because mm. um we get questions on well, what bivy sack do you use and for right. a while that was a weird question to answer because you were using something that wasn't made i was using Anymore, something that right? was discontinued and it was like yeah. well i can't really give you and we can give a recommendation out in a minute but a lot of people if they're just hearing this they'll go to google and they'll type in bivy sack and what will come up is like the outdoor research helium bivy or something Mm-hmm. Um, and I would just clarify that like the bivvies we're using are different than something like the outdoor research helium or a military bivy or a full Gore-Tex bivy, um, or a shelter bivy with like a pole that's meant to be a small, weird one man shelter. Um, so just to cut, <laughs> to cut to the chase. And again, this is not sponsored. It's just, there are more limited options out there for the type of bivy we're talking about. Steven, the past years was a Jimmy's tarp, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I was using a lightened equipment recon, which is no longer made. Um, Catabatic did start making a similar bivy. 
uh, a few years ago, at least two or three years ago. Um, and that's what I'm using now. So they have one called the Pinion, and that's the bivy I'm using. But just to clarify, it's not, it isn't meant to be necessarily a quote unquote shelter. So like the Pinion has a lot of mesh. It doesn't provide full protection. You can't zip it up and it doesn't have its own pole and it isn't meant to ride out a rainstorm. You do need to pair this type of bivy with a tarp if the conditions demand it. But again, think through like the, a lot of times the conditions don't demand it. Um, yes, yeah. like rain can happen and like it is smart to have a tarp with you and we generally do. But to your point, Steve, like there's so many times we've just thrown out the babies under a tree and that's it. And it is so nice to be able to do that. So I did want to clarify when we say any bivy, look yeah. at the differences between like a catabatic pinion as an example and something like the outdoor research helium as an example. There's a lot of others out there, but um, yeah, and then yeah, tarp wise, the I still got a Jimmy's tarp. I said those don't exist anymore. I think Mountain Laurel Designs has some cool ones I've looked at. I've never purchased this year. I actually so uh, Outdoor Vitals they have a tent called the Fortius One, and I ran. Uh, I did run that tent on our bear hunt this spring. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, um, but I got it, and I was like. I really liked the setup of it. And I, was, I reached out to those guys like, Hey, do you have one that somebody sent back to you as a return, like demo? It's all dirty or whatever. I don't, I don't care. Cause I, I took it and I cut out the entire mesh inner. So it just had a shell. And once I did all that, the shell was 10, 11 ounces. And then you got your baby sack, which weighs six. So it was, I, it was right around that. I like to be that one pound. Um, and, but I never, I did that and then never once set up the, the shell, the, this entire fall hunting season. I just yeah. never, never needed it. Um, but that was, a, that was actually a pretty robust shell that, um, uh, if you were to get caught in a rainstorm or high right. winds would, would do a really good job where like a Jimmy's tarp that I've used in the past had like a, one side of it was basically completely open. You know, if you were up on a ridge top, like, you know, that would, that would suck. And that's where it kind of had that caveat of, um, any bivy sack tarp combo, but it's not for every hunt in every situation. Like I, if I'm right. going in and it's late November and it's supposed to snow about, like, if you know, the weather's going to be crap or there's a high chance of storms moving in, then I'm not packing that. It's just so, I think Idaho is fairly unique that it's pretty dry and we don't have a lot of weather. You know, if I'm in Alaska, this my sleeping shelter looks a lot different, but I, Idaho is pretty dry and good weather. I think in general, the entire lower, lower 48 is going to fit into this category as well. Uh, I think, you know, there's certain spots in Wyoming and Colorado that tend to get a lot more moisture and, and storms and stuff that kick up in the evenings. Um, but by and large, you know, you're, you basically, you know, you go to the trailhead with a tent uh, in the, in the black, in the tote, and also a baby sock baby sack tarp combo in the tote if, if you're traveling from out of state and then i'm pulling weather on the inreach going yep all right everything looks good then i'm taking the baby sack tarp every every single time yeah it's um i would say there's a a, a mental battle to a bivy but again if if you try it i think it's actually really easy to get used to and as minor as it sounds uh actually <clears throat> i gave you my enlightened equipment bivy steve which mm -hmm unlike your Jimmy's tarp, does have a string where you can tie the netting off your face. Yeah, and I know for a awesome. while you just got used to the netting being on your face and you're like, yeah, whatever, it is what it is. But once you actually tie it up, it's like, oh no, this is nice. Yeah, it's nice being off your face and then nice knowing where the zipper was 
the middle right. of the night you got to wake up and pee, uh, which you know ha- certainly happens. Uh, the the other one, this is a brick guy gets shifted around is like twisted, you know, twisted the sleeping bag and whatnot. And so you kind of have to like refine that your, you know, head your hands are over your head in the dark, trying to feel around for the zippers and with that, uh, enlightened equipment one you have and the, the catabag does the same thing, correct? It does. Yeah. It has that. And then I've been using that catabag quilt since 2018, which we talked about again, no, this is sponsored, but I had the enlightened equipment bivy. And we were getting so many questions from talking about bivvies that I was like, I was getting really frustrated that I couldn't just like, when people ask like, what bivvy are you using? I'd be like, uh, well, this one, but you can't buy it. Like I wanted to be able to at least give someone a reference to something they could get if they were interested. So I ended up getting the catabatic bivvy simply because I wanted to be able to test it. And if it worked well, make a recommendation on, hey, here's what I'm using versus saying like, oh yeah, we have these two different bivvies we use and you can't buy one. Seemed like a terrible answer. So I got the catabatic for that reason primarily because I was happy with my enlightened equipment other than the fact you couldn't buy it. But I will say since I use their quilt and their bivvy, they're meant to work together. Optionally, you don't have to use their quilt with a bivvy by any means. But if you're using their quilt, the attachment system is essentially built into the bivy. And so instead of me taking the extra quilt straps and putting them around my pad anymore, there's essentially a set of straps sewn into the bivy where I slide my pad in and then essentially connect my quilt directly to the bivy, which is just like an added benefit if you happen to use, you know, both of their pieces of kit there that I do. It's it's pretty slick. Nice. Um, I was uh, rambling off while you were talking, doing my normal ADHD kind of daydreaming thing. Yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, go like the I was closing out windows and saw that super feed adapt hike max on the thing from last year. Uh, like, like worth mentioning again, like those things are freaking incredible. Um, put the like every single pair of boots that I tested or shoes or whatever that I test all this all year, all of them were improved by putting those in there. They they're just fantastic. Uh, I highly, highly recommend those things. And they're just put... called the hike hike cushion now. Oh, um, okay. That's what the depth hike super max feet is. Hike cushion. Yeah. Depth hike max turned into hike cushion. Perfect. And uh just fantastic, man. They more they you know, a lot of boots, a lot of insoles you can buy have um have a lot of cushion to them if they advertise it but they do that but it's just a thicker insole right and that sometimes depending on your foot shape and then the, the boot you're wearing doesn't work with that shoe like it's um, there's not a lot of extra room in there and the the super feet do a really good job of they provide a lot of cushioning without like taking up a lot of volume inside the shoe well issues i've ran into with other ones is like kind of the heel has a lot of padding in there so it raises your heel uh, kind of that heel cup out of what's actually naturally designed into the boot. Uh, and uh, so that would create some issues. And yeah, with these super feats, I've been, uh, I don't think there's a single example I can think of. I probably tested a dozen different pairs of boots this year and different insoles and those super feats won out every single time in every single shoe boot. They're the Prana Zions of insoles. They just work. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Like you was talking about how how does it that piranha like fits everybody? It's like for you these insoles fit every boot. Yeah, yeah. Well, we uh, went pretty long there. Long, yeah. That's <laughs> well, that's. I mean, as much as uh, gears fun part of hunting, dude, and it's fun, especially this time of year. You know, you kind of analyze what you use. New new stuffs coming out. There's that excitement and. 
you know, when you can't be hunting, it's fun to at least be thinking about it and evaluating the gear that you use. And while it's, uh, we've said plenty of times, you know, that's, um, there's so many things that are way, way, way more important in gear when it comes to your success in the field, but the good, good gear, the right gear, uh, can certainly make that easier for you. Um, make you more comfortable, right? I mean, just, there's a lot of, uh, a lot mm-hmm. of factors to it, which, Certainly some guys were like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm finding my blue jeans and this and that. And yeah, you probably are. Um, but you know, I can be a lot more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Gear's fun. It is. Well, we didn't get to any, discuss any of the listener submitted stuff, which there's a good, good segment of a good list of. So again, Mon- that Monday one, minute. Yeah. That, that will be, um, on the website so we're gonna have links to everything we discussed today our picks we'll have links to the previous gear of the year podcast and posts that we've done and all of your listener suggestions on that so just check out the link in the profile if you want to get more of that and then yeah maybe on the monday minute we'll chat through some of the listener submitted stuff uh if you guys have any questions obviously we can always answer those on a future podcast so just feel free to reach out. It's podcasts at exomountaingear.com. Send us an email. We'd be glad to give you a good answer as best as we can. And then if you haven't yet, be sure to hit subscribe or follow so that you receive future episodes automatically from our podcast. And just thanks for the support. We truly appreciate you guys. The reason we keep doing it is because of your feedback and your support. Because again, we're not sponsored. We're not making money or anything like that on this. So it's just something we can do to hopefully give back to you guys. And as long as you keep enjoying it, tuning in, telling your friends, keep doing it. We'll talk to you soon.